Oh yeah. It's above the break. And we're talking NBA Finals Game 2. This episode I titled Rocky Mountain Heat Wave. Because if you don't know this, the Heat evened up the series at 1-1 with a 111-108 victory on the road in Denver. As always, this is Nevin Brown, and I'm joined by... James Piercy. So, James, you had a little bit of a heat wave while you were watching this game, I hear. Um, (laughs) You can call it that. You can call it a heat wave. Anyways, um, so we're recording this on uh, June 6th. Um, It's... What time is it? I think it's like 11.30 where I am. 3 o'clock where I am, so... Yeah, so we are... We are on opposite ends of the world, apparently, um, which is always fun. All right. Before we get into game two and then on to game three, kind of things we want to see from from that as the series moves to South Beach, which I'm sure Stephen A. Smith will be very happy about. Um, there have been a lot of coaching hires. James, the only team that doesn't have a coach heading into next season, if I'm not mistaken, are your Toronto Raptors because you're Canadian. Yeah, they're I mean, I know they're not your team, but like, they are your, they are your local team, because um, Canada. My has... local team is the Newfoundland Rogues, and we're okay. we're going to the TBL Conference Finals, baby. Okay, okay, so I know what you're saying. They're your local NBA team, and if you're listening to this, I am doing the like the bunny ear things with my fingers. It must be kind of annoying where just everyone in Canada is supposed to root for like one team, regardless of where they live, and it's just like time zones exist, people. Yeah, it is a little bit. It is a little bit. I mean, I lived in Toronto, as you know, like for literally most of my 20s, too. So it's, it's especially ridiculous that I'm not a Raptors fan. Yes. But I, but I just entrenched as a Rockets fan literally before they were an organization. I was like an eight-year-old kid. I loved the Houston Rockets. So it's like I wasn't going to – like these were my heroes. You know what I mean? I wasn't going to just be a Toronto Raptors fan. Like it was way too late. Man, the rap, those, those are all these Raptors, though. They had Vince Carter. So you – you made you done made well, a mistake. The earliest Raptors had Damon Stoudemire, right? Like that. Yeah, they, they stunk. Yeah, well, of course, expansion teams almost always. Well, yeah, fit, yeah, right. Because like the NBA owners are like, we're letting you have a team, and the guy's like, well, I spent like a hundred million dollars to have a new team. So like, are you really letting me have a new team? And they're like, yeah, but you're also gonna have a shitty team. There's no way you're winning once we let you in. It's like a, it's kind of like a like a fraternity, like. You, yeah, it's like a like, right passage. Yeah, like you can come into the league, but you're gonna get hazed by having some absolutely garbage teams. But fuck that shit. Let's talk about let's talk about people that have jobs, not the team that needs to hire. So the most recent coaching hire, Frank Vogel, signed on to be the head coach of the Phoenix Suns. For that, Nick Nurse signed to be the head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. People made this joke already, but it's funny that a nurse replaced a doc in Doc Rivers. Um, Monty Williams didn't want to coach this season, but the Detroit Pistons literally offered him the most money in NBA history for him to bring them back to relevancy. We'll see if that works. Um, And then Adrian Griffin got the Milwaukee job. Um, He's the only one of these guys who is a first-time head coach. So as such, I think we should start with him. And I was just say, we don't know. (laughs) Yeah, that's about all you can say. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is this is one of these things that, like, I think I'm just going to have this comment on. People get really upset when good teams hire first-time head coaches because they're like, we have no idea if this is, guy is good. 
to which I would respond is that's true, but you also have no idea if this guy is great. Right. Like, I like first time hires. I, I'm a fan yeah. of first time hires. Like, well, it depends. Like the coaching carousel thing is kind of annoying and it, it's a little bit irritating that like these same guys just keep getting these same opportunities uh, pretty much on the strength of knowing that they're not horrible. Even when, when sometimes we actually know that they're not like great. You know what I mean? Uh, other times, like Nick Nurse, I think was a really good hire because I think Nick Nurse is a really good NBA head coach. I, I think his time just kind of expired in Toronto and he's still due to be an NBA head coach for another 10, 15, 20 years. You know what I mean? So like, like that's a good hire. But like Frank Vogel, Monty Williams, I find these to be somewhat uninspiring hires, man. I'm not saying they're bad coaches, but they're they're not elite coaches. I would rather just roll the dice on Adrian, Adrian Griffin Jr. and see if he's, you know, special. I, I agree. Um, I think in a lot of professional sports leagues, there's teams go with these guys that are like known commodities because if it goes south, the front office can be like, well, like, you know, like we went with the known commodity. Now, I will say this. I think Frank Vogel is actually a good head coach. Like the work he did in Indiana was awesome, right? Like people tend to forget this because they never made the finals, but like they got to game sevens, sevens, I believe with those Miami Heat teams with LeBron, D-Wade, and Bosh. So, like, he was doing a really good job. Like, those teams did not have the same level of talent. They're punching above their weight. They're built around a young Paul George. His time in Orlando did not go well, but, like, as and this is kind of why I agree with you, just sign, get first-time head coaches more often than most teams do because it's like the talent is going to dictate your, your win-loss record and for the most part. So it's like, you know, when Vogel had a functional Lakers roster, they won the championship and then had the one seed in the West before they stopped having a functional roster when AD and LeBron got hurt. And then they brought in Westbrook, right? Like I think he's a good coach. I think for Phoenix, it makes sense. He's a good defensive coach. You don't need an offensive mastermind because you have Durant and Booker who are just going to cook. So like, like, could they have done something more? I I, I like that perspective. Yeah. It's like, like, I think that's the actual issue with a lot of like good teams is that, This is what ends up happening. Good teams know that their team is good, so they know they're going to win a lot of games. So they don't want to get a coach that fucks it up, right? Like, even though I don't really know how many coaches could fuck up a good roster, I think there's that idea where it's like, let's just not get a guy who's going to fuck it up. I get that. And so what ends up happening is all these first-time coaches get these shitty jobs, and then we're like, well, they can't coach. I'm like, I don't think Steven Silas is a good coach, but I also like have never seen him be a head coach with a functional NBA roster. So, like... What the fuck do I like? You know, it's like, what the fuck do we really know? Um, and so a lot of these guys kind of get stuck in this meat grinder of like, you can't get a good job until you prove something, but it's really hard to prove something if you don't have a good job. <laughs> Let me say something to that, and then I think we should move on to the finals instead of talking yeah, about yeah, the coaches. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but Silas is a really good example, right? Because he was credited for having a lot to do with Dallas's offense, right? That was his big claim to fame, was like that season where they had the best offensive rating in the league allegedly Silas had a lot to do with it. That offense was very simple. It was just pick and spread with Luca being Luca, right? So what can we really say about Silas based on that? Anybody would have suggested to do that. At the same time, there's no coach that would have found a better way for that team to operate. You know what I mean? Like, like what was he supposed to do? Like, oh, you know what? We're actually going to run it through Maxi Kleber and I'm going to prove that I'm a genius. Like that's, that's not feasible either. You know what I mean? So it's like, like very rarely are the test conditions accurate to really test whether a coach is a good coach basically i agree with you it's like 
the talent's going to dictate what happens mostly. Yeah, yeah. It's like every every coach gets a different test with a different degree of difficulty, yet we grade them by their final grade on the test yeah. a lot of times. And it's like, uh, wait, what? Like, you know, I've said this a million times. I don't think Phil Jackson is like the greatest coach ever or even one of the greatest coaches ever. He just happened to coach the best player in the league for most of his career or one of the best players in the league for most of his career. Um, so like there's that. Um, I do want to say one thing about the Nick Nurse hire. His whole defensive philosophy in Toronto was like predicated on speed, aggression, length, energy. And they never really deployed, not never, but they didn't deploy a traditional drop big quite as often. Um, I think that's a little bit overblown because like when they won the title, if I'm not mistaken, they had Serge Abaka and they had Mark Gasol, right? Like those guys you're going to use and drop a fair amount, but I am interested to see like he's supposed to be his defensive mastermind. And if Philly retains James Harden, which I think they will end up doing yes, fingers crossed for just everyone, everyone involved. It's the best thing. If he stays in Philadelphia, I, I, I cannot reiterate that enough. Um, but like, how are they going to play defense where it's like you have Joel Embiid, who, as we've seen, like he never gets criticized for this or he doesn't criticize for enough. He is a drop big. All the problems you have with Rudy Gobert on defense, he has those same problems. Um, so how is he going to, he's like this aggressive defensive genius and he has a roster with James Harden, Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, PJ Tucker, where it's like, this isn't really like an aggressive defensive roster. Uh, well, Tucker's a really aggressive defender, but he's just old as dirt, no, though. <laughs> he's, he's aggressive in that he's like physical, but he's not like aggressive in like I'm playing the passing lanes. Like I'm going to go. Yeah, and, like, okay, you know, fair enough. Yeah, he's not, he's not the same kind of defensive playmaker, like like transition yeah. creator. You're right. That's a good point. Yeah, no, true. I agree. It's going to be very interesting. Um, it's not. They don't really have a Nick Nurse roster, uh, yeah. but. I mean, they might try to make some moves. With that said, the Sixers are light on assets, man. Very difficult for them to do very much at all. Maybe they can make some sort of, you know, uh, marginal lateral moves to where it's like, well, if you need a player like this more, we need a player like that more, like those types of trades. But it's going to be interesting. Uh, I, but because at the same time, as much as like that's a concern, I also think that Nurse might be able to do some real magic with Joel Embiid and drop coverage, right? So it's it's going to be, it could go either way kind of. Yeah, I think we'll actually learn how good of a coach Nurse is with this because it's yeah. a very different roster. And like you could always just the re- reality could be like Nurse played that way in Toronto because that was what he had to do. Like that was the roster he had. That's how he played. And maybe I think that's what we tend to think of as like this is what makes a coach good. He takes what he has and he maximizes what he has. So we'll find out if Nurse is this dogmatic dude or if he is actually like, you know, just, you know, the white Eric Spolstra with glasses. Speaking of Eric Spolstra, <laughs> let's talk <laughs> about game two and the Miami Heat winning over the Denver Nuggets, 111-108. And I don't really know how to describe this game in any other way than I think the Nuggets kind of didn't play great, but I also think that the Heat, like it's one of those things where I'm like, I feel pretty confident in the Nuggets still, but I because I feel like the Heat played about as well as you can reasonably expect them to play on offense. And the Nuggets did not play as well as you could expect them to play on defense. And this was a three-point game. And there's this is actually something I haven't heard people talk about a lot. But, you know, Gabe Vincent hit a three during the game where Jimmy Butler stepped out of bounds before he made the pass. 
And then the refs literally missed a goal 10 on Jamal Murray. Like I'm not saying that like there are two like very black and white calls that like just aren't they're not like, you know, oh, was that too much contact? It's like, no, if there's contact with your foot on the line, when the ball's in your hand, you are out of bounds. And it's the other team's ball. And a goaltend is also a black and white call. The Nuggets win this game by two. If you know, yeah, both those things are that way. The goaltend was funny, man, because in real time, uh, it looks. So I obvious. was like, that's. Th- I thought no, in real time, I thought it was a clean block on the TV. To be honest, I was like, that's really? just a crazy block. And then first replay, I was like, oh, that's an egregious goaltend. Like, yes. yeah, yeah, really bad. Because I assume they have a better view of it on the floor than we do on the television. So. Who knows? Honestly, who kn- who knows? Like that might be one of those things where it's like it's harder to tell. But like the the goaltend, I don't know why there's not like just like every shot there's like a replay office for goaltend, and they're like they just like put plug it into the score saber. Like hey, like they missed a goaltend, right? Like might be something might be something to think about in the future. Yeah, yeah, it just because it's like that is two points. Like if Denver has those two points, right, they run that final play and they don't have to take a three. Right. Like that completely changes what you're doing. But let's not yeah. let's not bitch at the refs who didn't have their they didn't have their A game. The Heat, though, did have their A game. Um, James, can the Heat keep getting away with this shooting damn near 50 percent in playoff games on three pointers? Very unlikely, uh, you know, very unlikely. I will say this, though, the, there was an anomaly sort of thing against Miami in game one in that I doubt they'll have another game where they shoot two free throws either. I'm not saying that they earned more free throws. They didn't, but yeah. that's unlikely to happen again, you know? So the question I guess becomes what happens if it regresses to the mean where Miami shoots a normal number of free throws, but they also hit a normal number of threes. How does that look? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So something that I, that I think is interesting is that like people have been talking about like Miami's defense holding Denver's offense back in this series. And that's not true. This game just had an 87 possession pace. Denver's offensive rating was 124.3 in this game, according to basketball reference, right? Like the Nuggets are scoring kind of like at an incredible clip, considering Miami's defense is supposed to be quite good. Um, the one thing that I think Miami's done a good job of, especially in game two, is they won the turnover battle and the Nuggets offense had been super good throughout the playoffs because they just weren't turning the ball over at the same at the same clip and i think the whole turning jokic into a scorer thing is kind of a part of that where it's like let's not double him like when you double him aggressively or try to slow him down as a scorer i think he's going to kill you with passes but he's also like just never going to turn the ball over and i think he's most likely to actually turn the ball over when you're kind of flustering him while he's trying to score. Yeah, right. And to some extent, I think what the Heat maybe have learned over the past two games is like, the best thing we can do is probably just let Jokic have 40 points. And just if if we make a more deliberate effort to guard like the passing lanes and, and to guard, you know, like to, to, to limit his ability to facilitate, he won't be able to do that thing where he's an entire NBA offense into himself. Like, like you want, you want to force him to try to play in a vacuum as much as you can. Now I almost felt like it seemed like a deliberate choice on Jokic's part though. Like it felt like he was just being more aggressive, trying to find his own buckets than, than normal uh, as yeah. well to me. Yeah. And I wonder if that was just an effort to try to switch hit. Like, okay, game one, I killed you with passing 
now I'm going to come out and back you down and, and get buckets for myself kind of thing. Yeah. So I think it's probably a combination, right? Like, yeah. I also think someone was saying like, oh, like they turned Jokic into a scorer and not a passer. And you know where he gets a lot of assists? Contavious Caldwell Pope, Michael Porter Jr. Those guys went three of yeah. 12 from the field, right? Like if those guys have good games, oh, like, you know, Jokic has 41 points and eight assists, right? Like, you yeah, know, but it, credit the heat though, because I, I think part of why those guys had bad games is because Miami stayed home on shooters and gave the Nuggets some more kind of traditional single coverage defense and, and, and it worked. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's what happened where it's like Jokic turns into a scorer when his teammates are some ass because he's like, well, the ball eventually needs to go into the hoop. That is the goal on offense. You guys aren't getting it done. Um, and they're covering you more. And I will just score because I don't know about, I don't know if you know this, but scoring 41 points on 16 of 28 shooting is really fucking good. Um, that yeah. that's, that is what I have heard. Uh, that's good efficiency. Rumor has it. Rumor has is, it. I think, I think Caldwell Pope really can't create his own shot at all. Right. Like, like he, he offers very little shot creation. Uh, and that's fine. He's an outstanding player, but that's just one, like, like he's not a shot creator. He's a role player. So if you stay home on him, you can neutralize him pretty easily. It just comes at the expense of having an extra body to send a Jokic. But I think that the Heat just have to live with that, right? Like you pretty much just can't double Jokic very often. You you can trap him. You can sort of like you can send a guy over last minute when the passing lane's kind of already negated. But like like you can't just straight double him all night, or else he's just gonna kill you on assists. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I'm gonna say this. If we can talk about like what Miami did to Denver's offense all day. 124 points for 100 possessions. I, I, I just don't know if I can like give them props yeah. on that end of the court. You know, like, yeah. like they, so, did a, they did enough on defense that when they had a 127.8 offensive rating, they won by three, um, which kind of tells you like just how incredible the Nuggets offense is, but like, let's talk about Miami's offense. Cause like straight up Miami's offense won this game. And the easiest thing to look at, and we, you know, already mentioned is like the three point shooting, right? Like they go 17 for 35. They were at 50%, like deep into the fourth quarter. Um, I like in the modern game, if you hit that many threes, you're probably going to win. And the heat have done this all playoffs where they've had these games where they just hit an insane number of threes. And that's not something you would have expected based upon how they played in the regular season. Everyone says, well, season before, they're the best three-point shooting team. And it's like, yeah, but the best three-point shooting team last season that the Heat were was like at 38%. And they've had like so many games above 45% that like, this is all just crazy shit. Like, I, I just, I don't know there any other way to put it. But like, Gabe Vincent, going off four of six from three, 23 points. They're just hitting their shots. And like, I don't care how, like you could never cover anyone. Like, I don't know how many teams would actually hit almost 50% of their threes. If you just let every single one of them be open. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it was really like, it was definitely anomalous. It's not likely to happen very many more times. Yeah. Now the other thing that they did is they took care of the ball. And like, this is why they ended up like obviously the shooting is why they won this game because just hitting more shots is the most important thing, but their ability to take care of the ball, I think was 
huge, right? You know, Jimmy Butler has one turnover, nine assists. Bam has three turnovers, four assists, whatever, right? Like front court players tend to have more turnovers on offense, anyways. Vincent, one turnover, three assists. Stress, no turnover, six assists, right? Like they had 11 total turnovers. And I think this is where Denver lost the game is I thought their defense was much better in game one than in game two. And part of it is they lost shooters. When you're losing shooters and screwing up rotations, that's an easy pass, right? Like that's a pass where there is like not only a really good chance they get the ball and score, there's also like a 0% chance you're going to have turnovers. So for me, I don't know what Denver does outside of just execute on defense better, right? Like I don't think the heat changed up what they were doing dramatically on offense. It just felt like Denver's communication was kind of off. I don't know if you saw the same things. Yeah, more or less. Denver looked a little like sluggish or something, man. Maybe they came in a little overconfident. You know, that's that's maybe that's not necessarily like a basketball analysis, but they they they, they looked a little sluggish from the onset to me. And uh, you know, maybe they can tighten up the defense a little bit. But I also think that the Heat are just a team that plays the numbers game, and, and like it's just the you know, just the Heat are going to be hot or they're going to be cold. There's not really that much you can do to mitigate. You know, they're one of those teams that beats themselves, right? Like the Heat can only beat themselves. You don't really beat the Heat. It's just that the Heat will beat themselves often enough that a team like the Nuggets are favored to beat them. You know what I mean? So some some teams, like th- those analytic-friendly teams just tend to be that way. Yeah, so what's been incredible throughout the Heat's playoff runs, like they've lost the two-point percentage battle like badly in a lot of games that they've won, which is obviously not what you want. Like I think Denver absolutely killed them in terms of two-point percentage, um, and they took so many more. But um, yeah, like... I don't know. I don't know what the Heat are going to do if they don't get outlier shooting performances. Because I feel like the Nuggets have basically been able to score enough to win these games if the Heat don't have a crazy three point shooting night, right? Like, like this is a three point game. If they go 16 for 35, that's an amazing three point shooting game. And then it's, it's overtime or, you know, Jamal Murray, Jokic can just go for a two on that final possession and maybe they score and Denver wins it at the buzzer. So let's kind of segue over to like game three because I think we've we've seen two games. Each team has won. We kind of have a feeling about what they're going to do. Miami's going to play that zone more times than you're comfortable with. They're going to try to push Jokic out of the paint to limit his post-ups, which has been, a, I think, a good strategy of theirs because he's going to absolutely murder the heat if he gets enough post touches. So what do you want to see from the nuggets to kind of get back on track in game three outside of just like, there's like play better defense. Sure. But like, what do you think that means? Yeah, I think they could honestly, man, it's a little bit difficult with Denver. Like, like they just rightfully you should come away from this one, one split feeling like, Denver is still very much in the driver's seat, you know, like yeah. the Heat had to rely on some outlier shooting to win game two. It's not very sustainable, probably. I think just like all I have is like generic platitudes for Denver, like just just play harder than they did in game two with a little more concentration and focus and like consistency from from buzzer to buzzer, you know, like that that's really about it for Denver. Like they don't need to make any uh, systemic changes to the game plan, in my opinion. Yeah, the one thing I think that they Malone hasn't done that I would like to see him do 
is if it looks like if like Michael Porter Jr. is not doing it on defense and his shot's not falling, get Bruce Brown in there. Because the one thing I think Denver does a bit too much is they use Bruce Brown in a situation where he's going to be the lead ball handler. And that's not like bad per se, but like it's not good. And I would rather have it be like, okay, like Michael Porter Jr. is not scoring and he's not as good a defender. Let's get Bruce Brown in there because any of the issues we have on defense will instantly get less bad if you replace those two. Like I, Michael Porter's got length, but like he'll get lost. He's not very physical. He And so if he's not hitting threes or hitting his shots, he's not really a positive for your offense or your defense. And I would rather have Bruce Brown to see like get more steals, generate transition, what whatever you'd be, just less fuck-ups on defense. And then also they should get any KCP to not be like, I like KCP. I like, I don't think he had a great game. I think he's one of these guys where like what he's asked to do. He, there's going to be games where if he's not hitting shots, you're like, he's a bum because like he is usually guarding really tough guys to guard, but they're going to need him. I think to just, he can't foul out, right? Like he just, you can't foul out if you're him. Like the nuggets don't have that type of depth where they can weather KCP getting in foul trouble too often. Yeah, I, I I completely agree. You know, Brown is a really interesting player in that he gives you everything that you want on defense besides length. And yeah. Michael Porter Jr. pretty much gives you nothing that you want on defense besides length, you know? <laughs> so yeah. it's it's it feels funny to say they need to take the six ten guy out and put the six four guy in for defensive purposes, but it's it's just accurate. Brown plays with a lot more like focus and attention and aggression and, and, and he's more physical yeah. like you said you know he can also fight through screens right like it's like the other thing is like if you think about the heat like this isn't a big team right so like losing the length to get yeah. all the other stuff like isn't as isn't a huge deal in my mind because what the heat are going to do is like they're going to try to like put it put you in a blender make you rotate make extra passes to get those open threes and you need guys that are quick enough to help help in the middle of the floor to help Jokic out and then spam out on shooters and like either contest or not get completely roasted by a pump. Right. And I think Brown is just going to give you more of that. And like, you know, you need Aaron Gordon out there. Like you can't, you need Aaron Gordon to defend Jimmy Butler as much as possible. Of course. Yeah. Right. Like, so like you're yeah. not and taking you need Aaron Gordon to, you need Aaron Gordon for the, the vertical threat on offense as well. Probably more significantly on defense, but he's the only weapon Jokic really has at his disposal in terms of like lobs and that that's been really instrumental to me in the series so far uh Gordon has a skill set that like nobody else in this whole series really has in terms of being like a lob catcher like like a big that can jump high and slam a jam you know there's not a whole lot of that in this series really yeah and he's also he he forces Miami to play bigger which I don't think they yeah, want to do which right? is not good for them exactly yeah although I did think that the Kevin Love for Caleb Martin adjustment made a lot of sense in the end, ultimately. Uh, I, when I first saw it, I was like, what are they doing? But it, it ended up being the right move. It's amazing that it ended up being the right move. I will say this. I don't think it's going to be the right move game three. No, um, me neither. Yeah, I, still, because, I still don't believe in it yet. Because it's just more, I mean, it's, and let's kind of talk about my Miami and his defense and Denver's offense, right? Like, the more things you show Jokic, the worse those things are going to be, right? Yeah. Like, and I just think that like the Nuggets will find out a way to like mercilessly exploit Kevin Love out there, right? Like 
Kevin Love shouldn't be able to cover anyone in Denver starting five. Right. Agreed. Yeah. Right. Agreed. So like, if that's the case, you have to figure out a better way to take advantage of that. And I think they will. It's a little concerning, but once again, like did, didn't they take advantage of it to a degree? They put like their offensive rating was fucking insane. Right. Like it wasn't like right. they, I mean, Graham, they were at their best in the, you know, the second quarter, third quarter range when Jokic and Butler were on the bench and like Denver's defense with Brown and, and Brown, but spelt the fucking wrong way because it's brawn. <laughs> like when those two guys, like, you know, cranked up the pressure, that was like their best period of um defense. And it, not, I don't think a coincidence, uh, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence, but like Jimmy Butler was on the bench. And I think the one way to fluster the heat is to play super aggressive when Jimmy Butler doesn't have the ball on defense, right? Like, I think that's something that they're going to have to lean into. But like, how the hell is Miami going to? slow down Denver's offense because pretty much the only thing that they did well in this game on defense is Denver turned the ball over what 13 times <laughs> right yeah. like like that's that's about it yeah wait so you said how is Miami going to slow down Denver's offense yeah like like what are they going to do because I, I saw, it's like look like if Denver doesn't like if Denver has one or two fewer turnovers, right? There was one where like Jokic just like threw the ball out of bounds. There was a turnover where it the refs kind of looked like they got it wrong and it like they called it out on Denver, but it looked like it's off one of their guys, right? Let's just say those two things don't happen, right? That's two extra Denver shots, right? Like it's a three point game. So like those things add up in a close game. So to me, it's like, what do you do to slow them down? Because like they're giving up the offensive glass. Like they're not going to try to get offensive rebounds because they're doing a good job in transition. But like, other than that, I don't really know what they're doing all that well, or if they have any real hope. Yeah. I don't think, I mean, I don't think there's really much of a feasible way for Miami to slow Denver's defense down. Like this is what we talked about from the beginning of the series. Miami doesn't really have the personnel to guard Nikola Jokic. Like this team is at its best when they play small and Nikola it's one of the only bigs in the league that really exploits that. So I, I think all Miami can do is just continue to execute their game plan and hope the shots go in because that's all my, like that's, that's what Miami does. There is one interesting wrinkle to me uh, in, in terms of Miami's execution, but it's on the offensive end. Yeah. Uh, Tyler hero. Are they going to play Tyler hero? Because for me, if I'm Eric Spolstra, my thinking is I will put you in the game, but if you're, if you appear to be a net negative for more than like five consecutive minutes, I'm going to yank you. And you're not going back in because we made it all the way to the NBA finals without you. And you're a player with some holes in your game. And if you're not helping the cause, I'm not relying on you, but I mean, a healthy Tyler hero could change the complexion of the series a little bit too. He is one of the best half court creators in the series. I'm looking at Miami's bench, right? Cause I think if he comes back, he's going to come off the bench to start. Right. Yep. And I think Kyle Lowry has been very good in this series off the bench. Yes, Caleb yes. Martin has not been so great in this series, but he's had his moments throughout the playoff run. Duncan Robinson has, I mean, he won him that game. He literally in that fourth quarter, he scored like 10 points. Like he won him that game. If he, if he, if he doesn't go crazy in that fourth quarter, they don't win. Right. And so those three guys are like, that's, that's your bench. So whose minutes do you want him to take? Like, I don't know if I want him to take, um Lowry's like Lowry's been hitting threes. 
I think he's even at this age, probably a better defender. He's definitely a smarter one. Like even if he maybe can't stay in front of guys quite as well, which I doubt, but like, let's just say that he'll get a, like, he'll get a turn. He'll get a, like a, he'll generate a turnover through like a charge or whatever. Caleb I Martin. You- like, I just don't, whose minutes do you take from? Right. And like, I think in theory you shave a few minutes off of everybody and, 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 piecework together 10 minutes for Tyler hero, you know, and, and, and see how it goes. Like, I, I know, but that's just, man. Cause like, let's just say you play all four of those guys, Lowry hero, Martin Robinson, right? Like if you play all four of those guys at the same time, like that's your bench. You can't have, like you literally have to have bam out of bio out there. Right. Oh yeah. So like, <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it seems real tough to me because everyone has been so good. And like the only guy who's been kind of bad enough in this series, and it's just two games, obviously, has been Martin. But like, I just think he offers significantly more defense. And that's oh, not because yeah. he's a great defender. It's just because like Hero's legitimately a bad defender. Like, exactly. Mar- Mar- Martin's like a seven out of 10 NBA defender, and, and Hero's like a Four and a half out of ten NBA defender, you know. Let's, so it's let's, like, you're, you're being too nice. It's he's more like a three. Right? He might be more of a three. He might, he might be more of a three. Yeah. No, listen, and and so for me, I'm like, I if I'm Eric Spolstra, I am not shy about yanking Hero for the rest of the series if it looks bad enough. You know, like yeah. like I would not commit to it, but it's almost like he's just too talented of an offensive player to not at least get him in there at some point and see how he looks, even if it's a blowout and you put him in, in garbage time. And he goes off, and, and you at least know, okay, we do have like Tyler Hero at our disposal, you know? But yeah, I think if I, I mean, this is probably, they'll probably have a, if he can physically play, they'll have a plan to reintegrate him, right? Like it's just, yeah. you would be insane not to try to do that. It's just, you got to cross your fingers yeah. that you don't get killed in those minutes because you're like, it's a hand injury. And let's just say, like, he comes out shooting and the shooting's not great. Like if he plays six minutes and he doesn't hit a shot, you could lose the game. You could literally lose the game. And like he, he come in there and he could be pretty good on offense and his defense could be so bad that like it loses you the game because he's going, he puts so much pressure on the other guys once he's out there. And I don't know if the Heat have quite enough defenders to like weather him being out there, especially with kind of their their benchier type units, right? Like if it's like Butler, Adebayo, Hero, and then who else would you want to have out there? Probably Struss and um, Caleb Martin maybe, right? Like that's not like, like they've been better in these playoffs, I think, without him just simply because like they don't play you know, four defenders in one traffic cone. They've been playing five guys that you're like, they're not all great, but like, I can trust them. Yeah. Duncan Robinson has uh, improved on that end. He, he's gone from, I'll use my system again. He's gone from like a two out of 10 NBA defender to, to maybe he's more like a four and a half or a five out of 10 NBA defender. He's still a bit problematic, but like he was absolutely awful on the defensive end. And, and I, I think he put a lot of work into his game and his athleticism to, uh, be able to at least not be a complete fucking dud on the defensive end. You know? Yeah. And, but also like to not be a complete net negative, he has to be shooting at a crazy clip right now. Yeah. Like he has to shoot at a higher clip because there's not really much creation there um, for himself and for others, which there is with hero. It's just, you know, we'll see. Okay. 
I think we talked a lot about this series and things for game three. I have a question for you. Who wins game three? It's a tough one, right? I, I, I sort of like, I'm still, I still think that Denver's going to win the series, but I think I'm going to say Miami, man. I, th- I think coming back home off a win, they're going to be feeling good. Uh, I'm going to go with Miami, but I, I'm very not confident. What's your call? I think Denver wins, and I think they win by a lot. Okay. I think because, like, I, I just my feeling is I don't think Miami is going to shoot this well in game three. They might have another game like this. I just don't think it's going to be game three, right? And if they don't shoot this well, I don't think they win. But I also think Denver is going to feel a little embarrassed by their defensive performance against Miami. And I think they're going to come out with a better energy. And I just think we're going to get the, finally get a good Michael Porter Jr. game, right? Like, like this series, like he's not going to win or lose this series for the Nuggets, but at the same time, like he could be definitely the swing dude, right? Like what's he at for the series? He's at 9.5 points, 29.2% shooting, 17.6% shooting from three point range, right? I think we get like a normal Michael Porter Jr. game and the Nuggets blow it, blow it completely open. Because like for me, it's like if he's good the rest of the series, I, I don't know like how much of a shot Miami has because we're talking about the Nuggets have produced a hundred and nineteen point three offensive rating with like their third most talented offensive player posting a let me take a look at this, an eighty five offensive rating. <laughs> Like, holy shit. Not good. Yeah, I mean, like, and like, that's what I'm saying. Like, does he, he doesn't need to be great. He just needs to be what he usually is. And I think that's like enough for them to kind of blow this game open if Miami doesn't hit, like, it feels like they have to hit 45 plus percent of their threes. Like, that is such a crazy high bar. Um, Well, I think that's what we're, that's what we're going to see because they're not going to meet that bar every time. So it's going to come down to, yeah, can Miami find a way to win a game? while hitting 38% of their threes, you know, like and it's they, just, they, they, they managed that. to get to the free throw line. So they did at least plug a major hole in yeah. game one to where it's like, okay, we're not going to win a single game in the series if we shoot two free throws per game. So, you know, they got to the line, but it's going to be interesting. I can't wait for game three, man. Me too. Me too. I'm, I'm excited. I was, I was, man, like I just, the heat have been like, I hate them. Like I just, it's, it's just, it's the, it's the breaking bad meme that he just, they can't keep getting away with this. Like, you know, that's just (laughs) how I feel with them and their three point shooting. And it's not like I dislike the heat. It's just that I dislike that people make up all these stories about all these, like, it's like, they're just hitting a crazy number of their three pointers. Like that's how they've gotten here. It's not like there's this, but there's like all this, like, Oh, there's the heat culture. They're just so yeah. tough. I'm like, dude, like if they don't hit 50% of their, like they don't hit all these threes, they're not even here. And no one's talking about heat culture. It's like, can we just, can we just take a step back and realize that like the modern NBA, unfortunately has become a league where it's like, if you hit more threes, you're probably going to win because this shit's OP. I, I do think, I do think that I like the way that he generate threes. It's not like a pick and spread yes. heliocentric ball handler thing. Yeah. There's a lot of dribble handoff actions and like a lot of weaving and off ball screening and like, like pretty, pretty complex basketball stuff on Spolster's part to generate those threes. And I do think they executed really well. So I don't think it's like 
like, you know, look, I'm going to rag on my favorite team here, but the Rockets at their prime level, the D'Antoni Rockets, like, you know, they just jacked up threes. That's not really what's at play here, right? The Heat have like a, like a, like a solid, sturdy, reliable, and, and difficult to anticipate yeah. game plan to generate those threes. They, they generate good threes pretty consistently and they have they a plan to do it right like and like i'm yeah. not saying and that's my point is like it's not yeah, like I'm, right i'm not ragging on like them shooting better from three-point range in the playoffs like they definitely should be shooting better than they shot in the regular season but it's like the degree to which they've improved is like i'm like sorry like they're not yeah. the best three-point shooting team in the nba and that's, that's basically culture man that's I, and that's, culture my point. that's not fucking key. That's, <laughs> that's, just, that's just that jimmy butler dog you know <laughs> Oh my god! See, this is this is why this is why I can't enjoy bad teams, not bad lesser teams doing well because the conversation always inevitably becomes the good team choked, their best player sucks, the good team just has better intangibles, and you just go look at the box score and you're like, hmm, like this team's role players hit their threes and this team's role players didn't, and like yeah. that was the difference in the game. <laughs> let's let's bring it home, man. Unless you have anything else to add. Um, we had a nice succinct I mean, I uh, I I think this was good. Um, yeah, no, I like this. Um, okay, so this was above the break. Remember, we record this on June sixth, but it will be up probably on June sixth or seventh. So that's the one nice thing about recording during the finals with these days off. Like, you don't have to like rush to get it out, and if you talk about a game, you get it up, and like the game's already happened, and you just it's like, why am I listening to these people give wrong takes that? You know, it's just like that. Um, James, do you have anything you want to plug? Nope, nothing at the moment. No plugs. <laughs> but 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 maybe maybe something for you know. I I have a little more work I have to do on that in hindsight. <laughs> so but that'll be out next episode. I'll be plugging that. I'd say. Okay, I like that. I like that. Well, I am actually working on something uh, for above the break, which you should go check out our Substack because we have a lot of good written stuff. James, I get up his first piece because. His work schedule is slowing down because the Rogues are approaching the end of their season. One more and, home game, baby. Oh Friday. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Go Rogues. Um, but I'm actually working on something about why there were so many scores, high scores this season. NBA record for 30 point per game scores in an NBA season this season with six and an NBA record going back to like the 60s, which I think is going to hold because of the league size 43 guys averaged 20 points per game or more this season. That's also an NBA record. And I'm just delving into why that happened. If what happened is actually kind of out of the norm um, and all that good stuff. So I haven't actually come with a conclusion because I still have to sort through the data, but I have a few theories and it should be fun, but that should be out in a few days. Um, we'll be back. Definitely next monday or tuesday and we might have an instant reaction after game three james you want to do an instant reaction i want to film you watching it with your friends that's that's what i want i want I'm that watching scene. uh tomorrow night with with Haley, and i don't think we're gonna film it so okay well you know you could it would be the the world's boringest only fans Ooh, watches me and my <laughs> yeah. girlfriend watch basketball Hot couple watches <laughs> nba finals <laughs> <laughs> Watch as I explain what a pick and roll is. Um, <laughs> That's, it's, how do you? How did you know what I'm gonna do? I mean, I look. I've 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 been there before. 
trying to explain yeah. stuff and it's like oh, wait what what it's there's too many questions it's like talking to you a child uh, <laughs> anyways uh so we'll be back next week and peace peace